Hey, where are you going, Jim? The elevator's over here. Taking the stairs. But our meeting's up on 8. Yeah, I know. But that's eight floors up. That's like eight times eight. I don't A lot of stairs. That's the point. I've already lost a few pounds and earned almost $100 in wellness incentives. Whoa, you're getting rewarded for working out? Yeah, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are, Bob. Fearless is full of surprises. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits and sign up at fepblue.org slash choose blue by December 11th. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network, another snowy one Wednesday morning in the Twin Cities. Sam Ekstrom, Sage Rosenfels, another offseason show. Are we bored yet with the offseason? How, how are we feeling about this? I'm not because I just got back from Vail uh, for our last conversation and had uh, some amazing snow on Monday after uh, the Monday podcast. I uh, had about a foot of snow in Vail, drove back to Omaha Tuesday, and now I'm ready to go on Wednesday. So... Bring on the snow. That's fine for me. I mean, as journalists too, you know, we've got to we've got to take it easy as well. We've got to sit back and make sure our body heals up after all that typing we did <laughs> during the season. So there's a, definitely a recovery time involved for the writers as well. A couple new segments that we're going to introduce today. First of all, stats of the week. A couple interesting numbers, facts, and figures. Maybe from the Vikings. Maybe not. We'll have some fun with that. We'll also begin our Sage Stories segment where, Sage, you have to wax eloquently about a key figure from your NFL past. That's coming up. But our starting point today, we continue our Vikings player evaluations, beginning with Cordero Patterson on the offensive side. Fourth-year wide receiver, set a career high in receptions with 52. He did not have a career high in yards. He actually set that his rookie year, but I think we can all agree that he had his most well-rounded season as a professional with 453 receiving yards, two receiving TDs, and just grew up as a guy. Seemed a lot more mature, a lot more willing to do the dirty work on special teams, whether it was route running. He seems like a guy that the Vikings all of a sudden want back. Well, he's become a wide receiver, uh, that's for sure. Um, still a little bit uh, unusual in his style and his strengths and weaknesses, Still is a sort of a premier route runner and all those types of things. But if you're catching 52 balls in a year, uh, even if they're you know, wide receiver screens and, and quick little slants and little hitches and little things like that, uh, you, you're a factor on an offense. And he would fit in very, very well with, uh, with the Kansas City offense and all the stuff that they're doing down excuse me, in, with, uh, with Andy Reid in Kansas City. So he's one of those guys that's not a traditional – down the field running 20-yard square ins and, and post routes and, and curls and comebacks and things like that. Uh, but as the season went on, you were seeing more of those types of uh, just con- uh, regular sort of a wide receiver routes. But for the most part, he's extremely dangerous with the ball in his hands. So I try to get him on all those little quick passes and see what he can do after the catch. I know you're not uh, a capologist necessarily, but do you have a number in mind for what Patterson might be worth? He's been making a little over a million dollars a season, and he's obviously going into free agency, a chance for him to set himself up for life with a big contract. With all that happened in Minnesota, with all the criticism he received for a couple of years, 
I wonder if this one season in good graces of Mike Zimmer might not be enough to offset kind of the two years of being in the doghouse. He may flee for greener pastures and whoever pays him top dollar. What do you think Patterson might be worth on the open market? You know, it's a good question and uh, something Rick Spielman uh, has to figure out because he's not a traditional wide receiver, which means that for him to be effective, they have to do different things. Now, it does seem like Pat Shermer likes to throw those, you know, run those types of plays with him, and he doesn't have a problem with that, so that's fine. But number two, the value of the kick returner has uh, weakened over the last couple years since they moved the kickoff to the 25-yard line. He doesn't get that many touches each game uh, to to run the ball back, uh, or maybe his rookie year when he went to the Pro Bowl, he was getting, you know, five or six times a game a chance to run it back and make a difference. Now it might only be, you know, maybe two, maybe three uh, in every game, and and in some games probably none uh, with a really good kickoff specialist. And so his value goes down just a little bit. He's one of the best returner, if if not best kickoff returners in football, but that position is not that valuable anymore with the way kickoffs are. So uh, he definitely has value increased with his ability to play the true wide receiver position this year, Uh, but I'm not sure how much it is completely. Maybe, you know, $4 million a year, I'm not really sure. I've seen people toss out the name Tavon Austin as a comp. He's 25 years old. He's got four years' experience, similar ages, similar uh, service times. But Tavon Austin got over $28 million guaranteed with – a maximum of $42 million on a four-year deal. I don't think there's any way you can justify giving that kind of money to Patterson. But when you get agents involved, that might, kind of, that might be the kind of money that they demand. And if that's the case, Minnesota probably lets him walk. Well, for one, um, I'm, no, I'm no cap specialist. Uh, I, I looked at that contract and that thing came out. Four years, basically $42 million. And I could not believe it. You know, $10 million a year for a player who's not putting up you know, 80 or 90 catches in the season. He's a good kickoff guy, too, or punt and return guy. But, man, he is not that viable. I think everybody was sort of shocked around the NFL when Tavon Austin uh, uh, got that contract. And it's probably going to wreak some havoc uh, you know, for the Vikings to try to sign Cordero back just because there's just no way Rick Spielman's going up to $10 million uh, with Cordero Patterson. This is scary, though, when you look at their seasons side-by-side. Side. Rookie year. Tavon Austin, 569 yards from scrimmage. Cordero Patterson, 627 yards from scrimmage. So advantage Patterson there, and he was a really good kick returner that season. Austin, in his second season, 466 yards from scrimmage. Cordero Patterson, 501 yards from scrimmage. So you see where this is going? I mean, that's two years of Patterson being the better player. The difference between them is that Tavon Austin had his best season in year three with over 900 all-purpose yards, and then Patterson really didn't play that season. That's how Austin got the contract. But three of their four years, last year included, they've been very equal players. If people are thinking, oh, Austin deserved that money, Patterson doesn't. Well, I mean, Austin really didn't deserve that money either, so... I think Vikings fans might be in for a rude awakening for how much Patterson demands. He'd be a nice player to have back, but it could be a luxury the Vikings cannot afford. What the Vikings need is offensive linemen, and if I were them, I'd be really looking to spend a lot of cap dollars on the offensive line. That is the number one issue with this football team. And, and, you know, one reason Cordero was successful this year was because actually the line was so bad 
uh, they had to throw all those little quick passes to him, get him a lot of catches. Uh, you know, but if it, was a, if it was a better offensive line, they could throw the ball down the field. You know, he might be less uh, you know effective and uh, have less value for the football team because it would be more traditional wide receiver routes and guys like Adam Thalen would be more valuable. How about on the defensive side, Daniil Hunter, the team leader in sacks, 12 and a half this season. From a salary standpoint, he is an unbelievable bargain. Next season, a cap hit of under $800,000, and the year after that, under $900,000. Probably, though, the type of player that you want to extend after his third season to make sure he's locked up, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he's one of those guys that's done pretty much everything right in his first couple of years in the league. And, you know, just one of those pleasant surprises. The Vikings got to be thrilled that they found him. Uh, he's extremely athletic. He's sort of as a poor man's Jason Taylor. Maybe not even poor man's. I don't know. But he's got that those really long arms, super athletic body. Uh, he's tall and lean. Doesn't have, like, sort of that uh, Everson Griffin body, which is a little bit shorter, more compact, more powerful. Uh, he's tall and lean. He can use that leverage. Uh, he's a good player, and the Vikings definitely found a good one. Rick Spielman, over the course of his uh, you know, NFL GM life, uh, that, that is one position where he has excelled at is defensive end. You know, Going back to Miami and, and Jason Taylor, obviously Jared Allen, Everson Griffin, now Daniel Hunter. He has gone you know, uh, year after year, it seems like, and finds another good defensive end almost every single season. So 18 and a half sacks so far in the in the short career for Daniil Hunter. He had a touchdown this past season on a fumble recovery. He forced one fumble, had one pass defensed. And Brian Robinson alluded to it at the end of the season that he thinks Daniil Hunter's probably done enough to earn a full-time starting job. A good position for the Vikings to be in and certainly a difficult decision to be made, but Robinson also had a fantastic year. So you wonder if the Vikings just keep rolling with both of those players in part-time roles and sort of combining to be just a super defensive end if you uh, put them together. Well, yeah, and they're very different players. You know, Robinson is more of a, a powerful guy. You know, he was a guy that was a shot putter in college, and, and uh, he is not a, a fast, off-the-edge type of pass rusher. He's not going to be with quickness. He's going to be with power and savvy uh, and, and some work on the inside a little bit and not up the field on the outside. So, yeah, they're, they're a good combination. You know, a good pass rushing team, which the Vikings want to be. I mean, if we go back to the beginning of the year and we sort of talk about the model they have for success, uh, it's getting the lead, grinding, uh, running the football. And uh, in, in the fourth quarter, it's the defensive ends pin their ear back and rushing. And you can't have just two. You have to have three, sometimes even four, because those third downs are so viable. Uh, those second and third downs are viable when you're ahead by – you know, 10 points with six minutes left. You're going to be rushing the passer. You, you need more than two defensive ends. Uh, so they'll load up at that position uh, and have three, maybe even four of them. So uh, his value to his team is, is very, very important. Uh, he, and he, I'm sure the Vikings will re-sign him if he stays healthy over the course of the next couple of years. And he'll be uh, in a Vikings uniform for a long time. He's a very good player. And very well paid. couple fun stats on Hunter. This one modeling his level of consistency. He had 12 and a half sacks this year. And, you know, sometimes sack numbers can be a little deceiving. Maybe a player gets three sacks at the end of a game or three sacks here, and they bunch them together. Daniil Hunter had those 12 and a half sacks spread across 11 different games where he had at least half a sack. So he was a steady performer this year. He didn't have a great first half and then drop off the face of the earth. He was extremely consistent. Second of all, 
And this is where people envision what Hunter can do in a more of a full-time capacity. He only played 58% of the team's snaps this season. He played 600 reps. Everson Griffin played 888. If you calculate the ratio of Hunter playing the same number of snaps as Everson Griffin, suddenly you've got Hunter with 18 and a half sacks. That would have led the NFL. Yeah, and, and a player like him, he's probably more effective because he doesn't have to play that many snaps. You know, he's not a big, bulky guy like Robeson who can just go, you know, play after play, series after series, game after game for 16 weeks. He's a little taller, leaner guy. Those guys have a harder time uh, holding up over the course of a long season, over the course of a tough game against the run. You know, those types of things. They have to come out, you know, on obvious run plays because he is more of a pass uh, pass rusher specialist. He's not a grinded-out sort of three-down defensive end for 16 seasons type of player. He's just not built that way, and that's fine. His specialty is rushing the passer, and there's plenty of reps in a football game. It is a throwing league. There's plenty of reps in the football game where he can get in there and, uh, and, and wreak some havoc on the other team's offense. Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network. Sage, time for you to spin some yarn about a, a player from your NFL past or a coach. In this case, I think it's going to be a coach. I've noticed that you've been really carrying the torch for Gary Kubiak of late on Twitter at Sage Rosenfels 18 a former coach of yours who recently stepped down from his role with the Denver Broncos. What makes you respect him so much? Well, I think quarterbacks uh, and players just love playing for him because he doesn't really um, – how do I describe it? He doesn't beat around the bush. I mean, he, he says it like it is. Uh, he tells you if you're playing well or not. He sets an expectation for what you have to do as a player, and uh, you just have to you know, sort of live up to that expectation. He's not asking uh, for more than you can give. Uh, his, his regular phrase is just be a pro in this situation, whether it's on the field or off the field. Be a pro, handle your business, and I ain't got no problem with you. And, uh, you know, players love that. They, know, they love knowing exactly where they stand, the work that has to be done, what level of play they have to, to play to. And uh, he just seems to – I think it's the fact that he played for a long time, you know, as John always back up. And uh, you, you just know – he understands what it's like uh, to go through a season, to go through a game, to go through injuries, to go through failure, to go through tough times in life. And uh, somehow he knows how to – uh, express that to his players. Do you think he coaches in the NFL again? I don't think so. I think the Denver Broncos was his job. I mean, that was sort of the dream job for him. Other than the Houston Texans, where you know he's from Houston, that's where I played with them. Other than that, I mean, the Broncos really is home. He's been there for a long, long time. Obviously, as the you know the offensive coordinator under Mike Shanahan for I believe about a dozen years. So that really is home for him. And uh, I don't think he'd want another job. Any job that he wanted in the NFL would be the Denver Broncos, but you know his health has not been great the last few years. He's got a had a couple issues, and uh, it's time for him to be done. You know the NFL is a very very stressful job, and I think Gary uh, sort of holds in that stress. You know he's not one of those guys that just sort of lets it out and yells and screams and you know all that type type of stuff like Rex Ryan. He sort of holds it in, and uh, he's you know, he's thinking a lot, and, and you know over the course of a lot of years that can you know, that can weigh a man down. 
Is Democracy in Danger or Decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst. We'll conclude this show with our stats of the week on this Wednesday edition of Locked on Vikings. Vikings just sent out their season-long stat book. Can you guess what the Vikings were on challenges this year? What was it? What was their success percentage? That's interesting. I, I feel like they were fairly successful. I'm going to say like uh, 60%. I'm say they're, they were 6 of 10 on the year. See, it's tough now because in the NFL – so many plays get reviewed just by the booth automatically. So even if they work in the team's favor, they might not go under the coach's challenge record because they were automatically reviewed. The Vikings only had five challenges this season, and, oh, they, wow. and they were only successful on two, and they were both from the same game. If you remember the Arizona game, the Vikings had two touchdowns in that game that they had to review to get, to get counted. Rarely do you need to throw the challenge flag anymore. Well, I know when, when instant replay first started, and this probably goes back to my guess is maybe even the 90s uh, when replay started. Uh, then it sort of went away for a while, then it came back, and then it's come back in sort of different forms. But, you know, one of the issues was that slowed down the football game. There were so many replays and so many challenges that slowed down the game. I do love the fact that turnovers and, and, and points, you know, touchdowns, you know, plays like that are turned over. I think that's very, very valuable. Those are very important uh, plays in a football game. Those are the ones that do decide outcomes of games. And I'm glad that they sort of uh, uh, challenge those for free in a sense so that the coaches can really just challenge, you know, completed passes and, and other things like that. Did you ever have a coin toss strategy? Were you ever in the coin toss? And uh, did you have a heads or tails strategy that you like to use? Uh, tails never fails every single time. I don't know why people even try going heads. It never works. Tails never fails. That's that, the way I look at it. Well, that, that's exactly what the stats support for the Minnesota Vikings this past year. Eight instances where they got to call the toss. They called tails seven out of those eight times, and they were successful on three of the seven tails. Uh, oh. <laughs> so didn't necessarily never fail, but they definitely abided by that strategy. The one time they called heads, they lost, of course. Um, opponents were a little more successful calling the toss, but Vikings going with the tail strategy. Well, this is one of those stats where you wonder what the Patriots, they probably have like a 90% success rate on coin flips. I mean, they're, they seem to get all the little calls and little plays like that. So Vikings definitely need to work on their coin flip in the offseason. Three out of uh, – Eight. Three out of eight is yeah. not very good. No, no, it's not. And for some reason, this stands out to me. I remember thinking in the 2009-2010 NFC Championship game, I remember thinking that somebody called heads for the overtime toss. And I remember thinking that was a really stupid idea because you have to call tails. I don't know why that stands out to me, but that's that's <laughs> just in, the, in my memory bank somewhere. Yeah, well, we never got the ball back either. So, Who yep, that- tails never fails. That was always my uh, – you know, it always worked pretty well for me. I feel like one season, and maybe it was that 2009 season, uh, we had unbelievable luck throughout that year of winning the coin toss. 
Um, I, you know, I, you could probably go back and try to find those numbers. I'd do some re- serious research, but I feel like over six, the first 16 games, we won the toss something like 13 times or something. It was incredible. Who's calling that? Jared Allen? I, I probably just because he probably wants to call it. He probably wants to talk more than all the other <laughs> players. So I, I believe that season it was far Jared Allen, uh, Ryan Longwell, um, and, uh, trying to think uh steve hutchinson the, those guys were all captains i'm not sure who else is on defense so yeah those guys were were pretty pretty good at uh picking the coin toss every year so it's basically the group that went down to mississippi to get Favre. They- yeah well that's the thing it's, it's the, the luck is all and it's it's it's, uh, air, it's it's private airplane luck that's what that's all about <laughs> so they, i think they had a pretty good year uh i'm currently reading brett Favre's uh biography gunslinger by jeff perlman very very good read Anyway. I will have to check that one out. I uh, I knew he put out a book recently. I haven't had a chance to look at it. Yeah, really well reported. Extremely interesting. Maybe I'll get to a part about you. Did you do an interview for it? Are you are you withholding on me? Nah, not that I know of. I, I wish. Maybe. I can't remember. I, I feel like I may have gotten a phone call from somebody who was writing a far book. I'm not really sure. So uh, I, have, I have not been told by anybody that. I have any quotes in there, so I doubt if I was interviewed uh, that it's in the book. Yeah, I'll let you know. This is the same book that we talked about actually a couple months ago with, you know, Artist Hicks claiming the Bounty Gate stuff and then kind of retracting it. And I'm not at that part yet. But anyway, it's Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network. We'll have a full report on Gunslinger and any Vikings involvement coming up on the podcast. But for now, say Drosenfell's Sam Ekstrom. Have a good day. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.